Is anybody missing duck season as much as I am? And it's like spring snow goose hasn't even been gone for that long. Turkey season just came to an end. I didn't shed a tear over turkey season like I did for duck season. I don't know why that is. People ask me, why don't you love turkey hunting as much as you love mallard duck hunting? And I think it's hard to give that answer. And that's why I brought today's guest on again, because I have a feeling he feels the same as me, even though he can kill turkeys with the best of them. I think he's going to have a pretty good answer. That's how we're going to start today's show off of the Foul Eye Podcast, brought to you again by our friends at Gerber Gear, Stay Sharp America. Today's guest, Tony Vandemore, Habitat Flats. Thanks for coming back, my brother. Yeah, man. Glad to. How you been? Oh, man. I just, like, I don't know. I'm, like, anxious, but, like, keep talking to everybody in Canada, and they're like, we don't know. And then I'm like, I don't know, but I got the dates booked. I'm ready to roll. I've already started the, you know, I know we're going to get into some of your prep, but my prep's a little bit different with as far as, you know, getting the 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 arsenal ready for filming. But man, I'm ready to go. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy it's summer because I do enjoy the family and I love the lake and I like the recreational part of it. But I think that right now, Tony Vandemore, like, I'm more ready for duck hunting than I've ever been in my entire life because I think I really learned in 2020 that I'm never going to take it for granted again. And I think that I have over the years of like, man, I, I'm going to Canada, man, I'm going to Missouri, man, I'm going to flooded timber of Arkansas. Shit, it could be taken away at any moment. And I'm just like, I can't wait. You feeling the same? Yeah, man, absolutely. This time of year is always kind of stressful, uh, you know, trying to get ready for duck season, but the excitement is there for sure. And are you, when I started it off with that turkey question, I've been following you on social media and I love the the kids and the calling, I mean, in their eyes and the, well, I want to talk about that, but does turkeys, do turkeys do it for you like mallards do? Because I've seen your mallard videos and they're, uh, you've seen some amazing things and I know that you've seen it with snow geese and Canada geese, but first of all, you're a waterfowl hunter all around. You're known a lot for spring snow geese. You're known for habitat flats. Are you a mallard hunter first and foremost, a duck hunter first and foremost? And do turkeys get you fired up like ducks do? Man, I'd say, I'd say without question, I'm, uh, you know, if I had to do one thing the rest of my life, it'd be shooting mallards, no doubt about it. But as far as turkey hunting goes, uh, man, it's a good thing they don't gobble in the fall. I love it. I mean, we're we're very, very fortunate that, those two seasons don't overlap. Uh, the thing with duck hunting, I guess, I mean, it's, it's something you work all year for. I mean, every day. Turkey season for me is, is something I love to do after snow goose season. You know, you got the mud and the, all the decoys and all that stuff. Um, it's a little bit different now, being a dad, being married. Uh, but when I was single, we used to get done with snow goose season, do Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, um, three weeks in Missouri and then do Iowa, South Dakota after that. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a pretty fun turkey hunting, but it, it definitely does it for me. But, but now with, with duck hunting being even a bigger part of my life than it used to be, you know, just a lot more, a lot more ground to manage turkey season. I wouldn't say it takes a back seat because I love it, but there's not near as much time for it. I mean, I got out to Nebraska this year, uh, hunted in Missouri, but I don't get to, to do the several state tour anymore like I used to. And, you know, like even in Missouri, a lot of days I'm just hunting, hunting for an hour, hour and a half or two hours maybe, and then going and getting on a tractor or getting things ready. I mean, everything, the world revolves around duck hunting. And then when there's something, something comes up where I can't farm or do this or do that, then yeah, I'll, I'll love to turkey hunt. Absolutely. Before we move on to duck hunting and what you're doing right now for prep work, the off season, getting ready for your huge fall that you have every year, turkey hunting question, Tony Vandemore, traditionally, are you a guy that likes to cut them, intercept them, get them gobbling hard, coming to you, you know they are, you're you're breathing hard. You're trying to find a tree to get you and your son and daughter to sit down, um, camoed up, back up against the tree, make sure there's no snakes, make sure, you know, as best you can. 
what, how do you feel about the reaping, Tony? How do you feel about all of this, uh, this phenomenon? And I know that you and I are friends with Terry Demon and Chuck and everybody at Mojo and the late Mike Morgan, rest in peace, Mr. Mike. But how do you personally feel is if it's legal, is it okay? Go get your hunting done and be ethical, morally correct and stay legal, legal means, or is there something wrong in your opinion of this fanning phenomenon of getting behind and sneaking up and getting those gobblers to react that way? I don't know that there's there's anything wrong with it. I mean, heck, it's legal. If that if that's your cup of tea, go ahead. Personally, I've I've never done it. Um, I probably would love it. I mean, they they just come charging right at you. But kind of the same thing on the on the duck side. You know, I'm kind of past the point where you know you want to go jump a pond dam or you want to shoot a limit just to get a limit. You know, shoot them at forty yards. I mean, if I if I can't shoot them. 20 yards with the feet out, then I really don't care. It doesn't do it for me. And turkey hunting wise, I like the game. I like the chess match. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm a, a purist by any means. I mean, if they're not, if they're got, not gobbling, it's tough. You're on a road trip. You know, it, it's all about getting in position and getting in front of them or, you know, calling the hens over, doing something. But just going out there and reaping, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I've just never, I've never done it. I, I, I'm the exact same way is that if, if you are legal, do it. It just, I, I, I did it one time in Kentucky and I got back to camp and I was kind of proud. I was like, man, that was cool. And when I told him how I did it, because the, the guy that took me out, he was the one that like introduced it to me. He's like, try this. And boy, did I take some slack for it. I haven't even thought about doing it since these, these traditionalists, these Southern boys are like, no, it ain't happening around here. And I'm like, okay. So I was like, okay, then, but I see, you know, big time Turkey hunters doing it. It's just that day told me like, I'm just going to stay. I like the game too. I like that cut. And I'm I'm not, and this might sound weird to you. And I know that you have kids and I, and when I take my daughter, the roost is cool. I'm not even a huge fan of, of the roost. I love the gobble. But I like that 9, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock bird when he's done mating the first bird and he thinks, oh, I'm just going to go get a nap. And then, bam, you cut him. And he, I mean, they're just, that's my favorite part of turkey hunting. Yeah, without question, man. I, looking back through the years, all the turkeys I've killed, I'm sure there's been whatever, 25, 30% maybe come from the roost, but all that, that later morning stuff. And anymore, our daughter goes to school about, oh, we take her, it's probably 35 minutes away from the house. And a lot of times I'll, if I'm, if it's too wet to farm or whatever, I'll drop her off at school at eight o'clock and be in the woods about quarter to nine. And, you know, from then till noon, it's, it's usually a pretty special time. I mean, at that point, if you get one, if you get one to answer you, you get one to fire up a lot of times he's, he's dead, but the whole, the whole reaping thing is kind of like the age old argument over jump shooting snow geese. I mean, I don't have any, any problem with it i mean have at it jump all you want i've done it heck i did it when i was younger i'm not going to do it anymore i like to like to hunt them like to decoy them and not just the the slaughter part of it but it's legal i don't see why i'm I'm afraid that if i tried it it'd be it'd be pretty cool well let's start there why tony vanamore what is it that you like about it because it's easily the most demanding work-wise and i'm not talking about the off season i know you your work schedule is very demanding right now getting ready for mallards at habitat flats but why snow geese back in the day i mean that's how you became known in my opinion was the 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 full bodies and 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 the videos and the ducks unlimited articles um why snow geese what what is it about snow geese that that makes you go i'm gonna go through all of this hell to maybe get them, to hope the migration's on, to hope it doesn't rain. It's got to be blue skies. It's got. It's got to be the right wind. I got to have. I got. I mean, the the decoy spreads are huge. You got speakers out there. It looks like a concert. Um, why, Tony? What is it about those snow geese that does it for you? Man, I've always liked playing the tough teams. I mean, come in the underdog. I mean, when you go out there, nine times out of ten, they're going to kick your butt. Without without doubt, I mean they're the tarpon of the waterfowl world. They're smart. They're old. They've seen this gig a million times over. Um, but also, it's the bunches, man. You get to do some some whoppers, and you do on the duck side. You know, you you can get fifty, a hundred, couple hundred in a timber hole, and it's neat, or even a thousand, and it's unbelievable. Uh, we don't normally shoot into those dry field ducks. You get a 
big spins and all that, and that's neat, but that's because those wings are spinning nine, you know, most of the time. But for snows, you're not going to get those big spins unless everything lines up right. Decoys set up, right bunch of geese coming from the right spot with the right weather, the stars got to be lined up. I mean, it is just, it's the hardest of all waterfowl to consistently kill. And when you get one of those big spins going, you're just kind of waiting like, oh God, they're going to flare, you know, here it comes. They're, they're going to pull out this time. And then they just keep coming and they get louder and they get more excited. And then you finally get to rip into them. It's just like, wow. Like, yeah. What would you, what is your biggest day in this? Now we're talking spring conservation season. Um, no plug in the gun, electronic calls, no limit. What's your biggest day that you've been a part of? Biggest one I've been on was uh, 494, I think. Good night. I mean, there've been a lot of people get get a lot bigger ones than that, uh, especially with shooting juvies and stuff late. And some big ones, really big ones, have come in the fall that I've heard of, like almost a thousand. It's crazy. Have you ever gone north of the border and done it in like May when they're getting back to Saskatchewan? Have you ever done that? Nope, I never have. The only time I go north of the border in the spring is when I got a fishing rod in my hand, catch smallmouth. <laughs> have you ever heard of big days like that in Canada when those juvies are finally getting back there? Because in snow goose hunting, the juvies go last because they're not in a hurry to breed, correct? Yeah, yeah. But then once they get up to Canada, I mean, they're all kind of sitting around together until that last, you know, last chance when they hop the tree line to the breeding ground. So they kind of all get intermingled but from what i understand they settle down a ton not much pressure uh you can get away with a lot less decoys but the days are the days are wicked long they are just because they're not moving around as much well just because you're the hours of daylight i mean you know if you go to canada in may oh you know, yeah might, you're might get at five o'clock in the morning and get dark at 11 o'clock at night. I mean, by the time you get done scouting and all that, you better be sleeping during the day because there's not a lot of, not a lot of night left. So take me through right now. I know it's storming in Missouri today, which is good for farmers. Um, if it comes in the right amounts, right. in the right place is the right time, depending on the planting season, the harvest season, all of that. What is a normal day for Tony Vandemore? Let's let's let the audience know about the guy in waders and camouflage and his dog and his shotgun and his duck call. Yes, that's an awesome part of Tony Vandemore, but that's not what happens in June, July, August. You're not out fishing every day and on the beach in Florida. I know you take some family time, but what's a normal day consist of hour wise and what time does it start and what are you doing as Tony Vandemore this time of year? And every day is different. That's what's pretty cool. Um, they always, they always start early. I just that's that's me. I can't ever can't sleep. I mean, I'll get up between two thirty and four thirty every day of the year. And uh, normally, my days usually start in the office, drinking coffee and emails. I mean, gotta gotta stay in touch with everybody and return emails. And then by the time it's daylight, then you're ready to go do something. Whether that's planting or spraying do a lot of spraying in the summer uh, a lot of mowing uh, there's just ungodly number of things to do in the off season i mean it's it's my busiest time of year by far and when you're driving around you know doing all of the, the spraying and the planting whatever it is that day you might be working on a well you might be working on water levels you might be bush hogging is it safe to say that 15 to 50 visualizations of mallards to where you're used to seeing them go through your head, even when it's 95 degrees outside in July. Yeah, man, absolutely. That's what I think about all day long when I'm out there working on this stuff. Like what's it going to look like in the fall? Or I remember a day from 10 falls ago where we watched a hundred of them drop through these treetops or whatever. I mean, every spot you go to, you're just thinking of old memories and thinking what this year is going to be like. You've got all the anticipation. You're like, well, I want to try this a little bit different. You know, they like this little setup over in this corner a little bit better last year. Maybe we'll build a blind over here. Uh, Going to try this food over here. You know, this changed a little bit, take some dirt deep in this part up. I mean, there's, that's, that's what you do. I mean, and, and when it's hot and you're sweating and it's just miserable out and the bugs are bad and all that, I mean, that's what keeps you going, keeps you fresh, just thinking about what it's going to be like. And what has it been like the last year? What was it? Was it, 
the same as everywhere else? Was it different for you as far as the the amount of birds that you're used to seeing? Is it could it be true that some of the flyways are shifting, Tony Vandemore, or is it just the weather? Do we need a good winter? What's going on, you think? I mean, biggest biggest parts of weather for sure. Um, but I don't doubt that that some things are are changing a little bit flyway wise. I mean, I grew up in Illinois, hunted the Illinois River when I was a kid. It was great hunting. Uh, my grandfather's clubs, I mean, it, it was great. And it seemed like the older I got, the worse that it got. It seemed like they were, were shifting west. And then I went to college in Missouri, found them all there. I'm like, okay, there's a lot more coming down the Missouri River anymore than the Mississippi, it seems like to me. Um, but really, it's, it's the, the lack of weather. I mean, it's just crazy. And we, we don't get the winters anymore. I mean, I was a kid, everybody in town had a snowmobile. You go through town now and you can't find one. That's crazy to think that. That's a great point of the snow is not, is, is a huge part of the migration, right? If the food gets covered up, they got to leave. If there's open water and there's food that they can get to, why would they leave, right? Mallards are very resilient. Then tell me if I'm wrong, but then you add on top of this, what have you noticed in the change of the word nocturnal? Is the mallard duck becoming the white-tailed deer and being able to just live life at night more so than they did back in the day, you think? Um, I mean, probably to a certain extent. Um, it's not anything that that I'm alarmed about. Um, I think a lot of it is, is, is pressure driven. Uh, and that, they don't, they don't live, you know, several years by being stupid. I mean, anything, I mean, it's survival of the fittest. They're going to, they're going to get smarter. I mean, they get shot till dark in a place. They're not going to come in till after dark. Um, but the biggest thing I've seen is just the incredible lack of weather. I mean, last fall was a, was a great example. I mean, had a foot of snow in the Dakotas. What was that like? Twentieth October, roughly, or somewhere right around there. And we had we had got our beans out late. Had just turned our pumps on like two days before this. So we're talking just little skinny sheet water, and fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand mallards in every field. It was unreal. Like we didn't open until November seventh, so I was freaking out. Oh gosh. Oh my god, they're gonna eat us out of house home. I shut all the pumps off. We just kept watching them every day. I mean, they're in like an inch, two inches of water. I mean, just thousands and thousands of them, every field. And then right about Halloween, that that big super super moon, that big full moon hit, and it got to 80 degrees. And I don't care if you're in Canada or Louisiana or Missouri, when it you get a full moon and it's hot like that, I mean, they're they're gonna go, they're gonna go in the dark. I mean, they're just not gonna move very good. Typically, from what I've seen, is once you get ducks on a full moon pattern, that's the nocturnal thing to me, is it always starts around a full moon. They'll move more at night, less during the day. I mean, it's bright. You know, you can see your own shadow at midnight on a big full moon. It takes a big weather change, precipitation event. You know, it takes a good day of rain, clouds, wind, a big front. It takes some kind of precipitation or weather front to get them off of that full moon pattern. And last year on that full moon, it got to 80, never even been shot at once. Hadn't even been shot at once. Our season wasn't even open and they went pretty much nocturnal. So here it comes first week of our season. We opened the 7th of November and like the first four days, we were up to almost 80 degrees and no weather change, nothing. And that's just, I mean, your ducks aren't going to move that good. doesn't matter what you do. I mean, oh, hey, they're nocturnal. Well, that, they're coming in after shooting time. Well, that's fine. Season doesn't open for a week yet. I mean, they're not doing that because somebody's shooting at them. They're doing that because that's what they do on a warm, full moon. And they have for years. I mean, that's just a weather thing. And we never really had any serious fronts or anything to speak about last year. Uh, really all fall. I mean, we didn't have any, any crazy weather whatsoever. These hunters are booking these hunts with habitat flats. They're looking forward to this all year. Even when they hunt at habitat flats and the last day ends, they're like, can't wait to see you next year. You have a lot of return clientele. 
going into opening day, you have groups coming into Missouri. You have double lodges now. You have a lot of you have a lot of overhead. You have a lot. This is business. This is fun. This is hunting. This is guys that understand. Hey, it's going to get eighty degrees, but we're still coming. This is Habitat Flats. Personally, Tony Vandemore, does are you a stressful person? I know you 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 come across very laid back. But do you stress? You're an entrepreneur. You're a businessman. You have to perform. You're an ex-athlete. Oh, and two, you got to put the ball in play. You want to perform from whatever side of the plate you're hitting. You want to put the ball in play. You want to let the ball get deep, hit it where it's pitched, hit it to the opposite field. Do your job. Move the runner over. Hit a fly ball when there's a guy on third so he could tag up and score. You're a performer, Tony Vanamore. But do you stress out? Do you get white knuckled still? Do you get scared? Do you get fearful that, oh, man, I'm letting somebody down? Because to me... Your reputation succeeds you like everybody's like, I'm going hunting with Tony Vandemore and Habitat Flats and the McCauley's. Do you stress out about it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you betcha. I mean, there's nothing nothing worse than, you know, having something that, you know, you've been doing it a long time. So you you kind of know what to expect. Take a, a snow goose hunt, for example. It's going to be pouring down rain. You know it's going to be absolutely awful. I mean, it's not going to be very good. It's going to be miserable weather, rainy day snows. I've never had great luck with them. But anyway, you know it's not going to be what you see in a video or what you're, what you're dreaming of. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's stressful, but it, it's something that you can't, can't do anything about. And, I mean, on the duck side, you know, we take it for granted because we've duck hunted all of our lives the majority of the season. I mean, I've always hunted a big, big number of days. So I've got to see a lot of things and pretty fortunate, but you know that no matter where you go, it's not going to be lights out every single day. And that's stressful. But on the flip side, it's also serious motivation for me in the off season, because, you know, what I try to tell myself is you can make it pretty, but you can't make them fly. I can look myself in the mirror 80 degrees on a full moon and the hunting's rough knowing that in the off season, I did every single thing I possibly could to make sure we were going to have the best opportunity possible on any given day. That's a great point. And your clients know this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're blessed, man. We got great clients. How does it work when you have such a reputation of, do you, you know, we talk about the word generations and generational or ancestral. Does your clientele become ancestral like duck holes do? Um, does it get passed down from the generations to where 70 year old dad has the 50, 45 year old son and now the 70 year old dad might not come, but now the 45 year old son's bringing his son and daughter. And it, it seems to me like that business could become very ancestral and generational, right? Oh yeah, it is, man. It's, it is definitely, we get lots of fathers, sons, grandsons, uh, whole families coming in and, and taking taking a trip. I mean, uncles, brothers, cousins, sisters, wives, kids, grandkids. I mean, it's it's really really cool. It's a big big family sport. And when you, when the hunting's over in the morning, and let's say it's on, right? You get them. What happens next at Habitat Flats? What what are, are are we shooting sporting clays? Are we UTV in it? Are we are we going and checking deer cameras with Tony? What 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 do we get to do when the mallards just cooperate and they're like, whoa, that was unbelievable, but it was so fast. Well, if, you know, if you're probably we get to go do our second favorite thing, which is eat. <laughs> <laughs> we, the girls at the lodge do a do an incredible job. I mean, there is always an overabundance of awesome food and we love to eat. So, you know, we get them killed early. We're going to go back, have a big lunch. Um, you know, we've always got chores to do in the afternoon. I mean, filling pumps, changing oil, moving ice eaters, taking care of generators. I mean, there's never a shortage thing to do, but as far as guests go, I mean, we get a lot of guys that want to grab a nap, you know, some of them might want to go upland hunt where, you know, we set them up over pointing dogs over and they're released birds, but they fly really well. But a lot of the guys, and this is what's super cool to me, they appreciate the overall experience. So we get a lot of guys, they've been with us so long, they know where everything's at, you know, and right off the, the back patio of the lodge, we'll have a big fire, 
and looking over the refuge, looking over one of our flooded fields. And they just sit there and watch all the ducks and geese coming off the refuge, coming in the fields. They love it. They'll load up in their vehicle and they'll go sit up on one of our bigger properties, just sit on the levee and just soak it all in for the last couple of hours of the day, watching all the ducks come in, listening to them. I mean, every, you can make yourself sound, sound like a pretty good caller if you go up and listen to live ducks because every sick, nasty sound you've ever heard, they make them all. And it's, that's probably one of the highlights of the fall, even for me, is just sit on a levee and just listen and watch. Watch the show. I mean, that's what it's about. Watch the show. You bring up a good point there about, we talked about vocalizations and turkeys gobbling and stuff. How key is calling to you in your duck hunting career? And I know it's timing, and I know sometimes you don't need it at all because you're where they want to be. But is that a big part of Tony Vandemore? That's why I duck hunt. Absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, be honest, I don't, I don't, I bet out of a 60 day season, I don't go where they're living one time, at least not Missouri. I'd run traffic every day just because for me, it's, it's a lot more fun hunt. I mean, it's, they don't want to be there. They're never going to be a duck in that hole. You'll never kick one out of it. It's just pure traffic. That's going from point A to point B and you're right in the middle of it. And that to me is fun, you know, loud calling, sometimes soft calling. I mean, you got to be able to, to read what they want to hear on any given day and back it off, speed it up, keep it down. Don't just get them started, get their attention, then shut up or call them all the way to the water. I mean, that's, that's the game within the game for me. And that's what I love. And what's really cool is, you know, running traffic, they don't want to be there. So you're taking a bird that's going somewhere completely different and making him kick his feet out in front of you at 15 yards in a place that he doesn't want to be. And that's, that's what I love about duck hunting. I mean, that's, that's awesome. When you start, when you go back to your clients now, Tony, are they allowed to call and the more noise, the better, or do they have an understanding because they've been coming to Habitat Flats that, Hey, Tony's got this, the guide's got this. We're going to respect that. Or is it, Hey, the more, the merrier, or do you have to sometimes look at them and go, Hey guys, let's, let's, you know, you had to communicate that throughout the blind. You know, honestly, we, we really don't. I mean, very few people call. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, they're not told not to. Do you think uh, they're intimidated by you, Tony Vandemore? I don't know about that. Um, Come on, you're one of the best duck hunters in the country. Like, think about, think about, I'm not saying that to like make you go, okay, you, there's a lot, I know there's a ton of good duck hunters, but you're a very good duck hunter. You're established. Do you think guys and girls would come into the blind and go, whoa, I mean, not even, I'm not even going to take mine out. You could look at it maybe that way. That's not the way I look at it. Um, The way I look at it is they're really good hunters and uh, are very respectful like me personally, if I go to your duck hole or I'll go hunt with with Rusty down at the Coca-Cola Woods right before snow goose season or whatever, if I go to somebody else's duck hole, I'm not calling. I'm not even taking them out of the bag unless they're like, hey, man, you going you gonna to call or what's it? I mean, I, it's just uh, it's not my place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get that. But there's also the mentality that I get to hunt with Tony Vandemore. Now I'm calling with Tony Vandemore. I would think that most of the guys would, or girls would be like, yeah, heck yeah, I'm getting in on this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work these ducks with Tony Vandemore. Like to me, that's a cool thing. And I understand the respect and I totally appreciate it and agree with it. But when you get to go to Habitat Flats and Tony's going to be your guide, because you don't get to guide every group every day, you split your time up, I assume. I would think, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get in on this with some with some calling with Tony Vandemore. That's how I would look at it. Like, of course I'm going to ask first, what do you say if I ask? Sure, man, go ahead. Or now nah, let's just, let me do it. I've had it, you know, especially like when they're a distance or whatever. I mean, every day is different. You know, sometimes they want to hear it all the way to the water. And a lot of days they don't. And it's all about reading ducks. So, you know, if somebody wants to call that, that's great. We usually say, Hey, kind of, kind of, follow along with what we're doing or, Hey, when they get to this certain point, maybe just let us take it from there because, you know, I mean, it's just like a, you know, call is just like a flag. Anything at the, at the wrong time, 
the wrong motion, you know, with a flag, geese are gone. Duck call, goose call, same way. I mean, if you do something, do something wrong at the wrong time, I mean, the game's over for that flock anyway. Running traffic, is it visual or are you telling me, Tony, in so many words that it's audio, it's the audioistic that you, they got to hear you. They got to, you got, that's the attention getter because describe to me the, the look of these holes in flooded timber. I've always said that it's more audio because it's harder to see. And I know that you can see the white and the flashes down there, but that's, I've always said, that's why so many great, so probably the most great duck hunters in the world come from the state of Arkansas. Cause you've got to sound like a duck to get them in the woods because it's an audio state. Yeah. Is, is that agreeable to you? And then when, in your situation of running traffic, like you just talked about, Take me through the importance of a decoy spread because I don't, in the holes that you hunt, it doesn't seem like you run that many blocks, that many floater decoys, or do you? And do you have to have a huge spread to run traffic? No, not necessarily. I mean, I'll run six to 10 dozen a lot of days. I mean, these holes are bigger. It's not like the beautiful arkansas green timber i mean we're not blessed with with that i mean think of more like a slough i mean it might only be 60 yards across so it still looks cool but it's it's bigger water i mean they, they need to see something but for anybody that that thinks it's not an audio deal as well i think it's mistaken i mean say you leave those decoys look at millions of, of permanent spreads across the country i mean our are ducks landing those every single day? No. I mean, you can leave those decoys out in that, these little timber holes that we hunt and ducks aren't going to come in and land on. But now you put two, three guys in there and know how to call and boom, you're starting bunches. Bunches are finishing, coming right in your face. I mean, I think, I think the audio is, is it's every bit as equal, if not more than the, the visual in, in running traffic. Wow. I, I mean, love, I love it. No, keep going. I'm sorry. Shooting our, our honkers, like on a reverse migration. I mean, they might be way dots in the air, you know, hundred, 150. I mean, they, they might be able to see that little black spot you got down there, but they're going to fly right past you unless you're sitting there screaming. And then the audio is what gets them started. Are you saying that you love Canada goose hunting too? What's I'm sorry, Tony. The the visual is going to help finish them. uh, But the audio is what gets them started. Are you saying that you love calling Canada geese too? Oh yeah, absolutely. What would you tell me in the audience is a more difficult task? One to learn and two to master mallard ducks and, or Canada geese vocabulary. Would you agree at least before you answer Tony Vandemore, would you agree that the vocabulary of the Canada goose is way more intense and way more complex because mallard ducks they say a lot but they don't have a whole lot of words it's kind of the same thing yeah canada geese you will agree with that it's way more complex but what's harder to learn and what's harder to master or maybe just personalize it what was more difficult for you i mean a basic a basic quack i mean not that hard to pick up a basic honk is not that hard to pick up I think the hardest thing to learn is knowing what to say and when. Uh, as far as what's easier to call and what's harder to call, I think it kind of it's going to depend on on what you're hunting. I mean, a uh, a duck that's been living there and is coming there no matter what is going to be pretty easy to kill, even if you're not a very good caller. Same thing with a Canada goose. I mean, you're not saying a whole lot to them most days if they're living there. But now if you start running traffic, it's a different ballgame. And that's where the more complex and, you know, advanced calling techniques are, are a lot better, I think. I love the fact that you're telling me that you love calling because one could easily assume that Tony's where they want to be. And that's the message I want to get across is, you might have them around you. You might be in a waterfowl enriched area, but your the talents of you and your guides are what separates the success from non-success. Obviously the off season work and all that's very important. If a client walks up to you and he's like, man, you sounded really good today, Tony. I want to learn how to do that. 
Would you ever tell somebody to start with a double read duck call? And I want to, I want to, I want to preface this by saying you could teach an old dog, new tricks, in my opinion, but does a double read teach a new dog bad habits that are going to be tougher to get over once they do transition to a single read? And how would you answer that question? Tony, I want to get a duck call. Should I get a double read or a single read? Yeah. I, I tell people to, uh, I, I tell people to get a single read. I mean, you're better off to learn. To me, it's a it's a much more versatile call than a double read. I mean, heck, I re- grew up, you know, when I was six, seven years old, blowing a triple read. But you can't do the same things with, with that as you can a good single read. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that if you're first starting out, you start out with, with a tough one, and uh, that's what you learn with. I mean, I blew a – Big river goose flute back in the day. I mean, that's all that's all we had where I grew up. And then the first Tim Brown, Tim Grounds half breed came out. There weren't videos. There wasn't any of that. That's a pretty pretty tough call to blow, mm-hmm. especially coming from a big river. And that was my first short reed goose call. Carried it around everywhere, and that's how I learned on it. I mean, it took a while, but you know, you're you're learning more complex things and and better better. I guess the core principles of calling, I think mechanics, the mechanics, probably along those lines, Tony Vandemore. And you don't, I'm not asking you to judge and I'm not asking you to play favorites, but give me some of the list that have blown your mind calling wise that you've had the pleasure of standing up against a tree with sitting in a blind with being in a boat blind with can any of them come to mind? Man, there's a ton of them. Well, give me some. I want to know who you've. I want to know who's like made you go, "Wow, man, you, you freaking sound amazing." Man, Freddie's always been been really good to listen to. Uh, and ha- half of my half of my guides right now. I mean, these, these young kids are just unbelievable. I mean, making making all these different sounds on a duck call on a on the goose calling is is just out of this world. I mean, it's, it's such a different game now than it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I mean, there are so many people that are incredibly, incredibly good and gifted and talented with a duck and goose call right now. It's insane. And a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with age. I mean, old people sound very, very good. I've hunted with a lot of them. But some of these these younger ones coming up, it it blow your mind. I mean, they're doing stuff on on calls that I I can't do it. I guarantee you, I've never even heard I heard it. <laughs> do you do you think that's attributed to the ability to seek content to where it used to be? We'd have to load up the truck and go to a calling contest. But now, I mean, you could just type in. Tony Vandemore, Hunter Grounds, Jim Ronquest routine. And I know that that's been on YouTube for a while, but now it's like you could find sounds everywhere, right? Absolutely, man. Like I said, when I was a kid, we didn't have videos or, or none of that stuff. I mean, I basically kept calls on me at all times. I and mean, my mom and dad and grandpa and uncles, they'd, all, they'd get mad at me. I mean, I'd blow them in the house, blow them everywhere. Like, go outside, dude, whatever. We will call all over the place, like driving around. Once I got a license, I mean, in my truck, that's all, all I used to do. And I'm not great by any means, but that's how I learned. And now you can you can pull all this stuff up on your computer and sit right there and, and blow a call with, with Chad Belling, with Jim Ronquist, with whoever. And, I mean, that's what's going to make you better. I mean, hearing it, trying to mimic it, and that that is 100% how you get better. Tony Vandemore, do you strategically place your lanyard – off season and in season, not when you're hunting. Do you strategically place it somewhere where you know it's at at all times? It becomes kind of like that. It, it, it has so much special meaning to you that, hey, chill out. Don't just grab it. Um, ask permission to touch it. And second part of the question is, do you walk by it and go, mm-hmm, you know, that's my baby. That's my, that's my, does it almost become like a part of your skin? Like my duck call becomes a, like a beak to me, right? Like that's how I think of it. But when you see your rope, your lanyard, Tony, your bands, and I'm not saying that you're a band collector or hardware means all that, but what goes through your mind when you see it? And is it sentimental to you? For me, that's all it is, is sentimental. I mean, it's, it's not my 
my baby or don't touch or whatever. Hell, I don't, I don't care, but it would, it would hurt to lose it just because. And honestly, most of them, most of them are all old ones. I've got a a drawer full of bands and I personally haven't got a band in a long, long, long time. I mean, just give them, give them away. But they're all the, all the old ones that really mean something. The ones with my grandpa, my uncles, with my dad, you know, with, with buddies like Fuge and Tyson when we first started really killing lots and lots of snows. I mean, it's, it's all, all old stuff that I've got on there. And it's just the the memory more than anything. I mean, it would, it would hurt me if I didn't have it, but at the same standpoint, I'm never going to, never going to lose the memory. Do you remember where your lanyard came from? Is it store bought? Was it custom made by somebody that got parachute cord and, and wanted Tony Vandemore to have a cool lanyard? Was it, did you say, well, customize it for me. I want four drops. I want six drops. I want double drops everywhere. Cause I put, do you put drops? Do you put loops on both part the insert and the barrel of your duck and goose call Tony? Do you remember your first, do you, do you, the lanyard you're wearing now? How long have you had it? Or do you change out every year and take your bands off with some, with some by scripts or some Leathermans and then put them back on every year? To, do you keep a fresh cord on you at all times? No, I couldn't tell you how long I've had. I couldn't tell you what kind it is. It's, it's old. <laughs> I've had it, had it a long time, but as far as like drops, yes, I put, uh, I put drop on, on the insert and everything just be just to make sure that i have lost one before and uh like when i don't have if it's just a single drop i had a couple single drops and i'd take like a little piece of braided fishing line and tie another tie another one on there just to make sure i wouldn't lose <laughs> anything again is it okay to talk about what tony vandemore runs on his lanyard are 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 you are you partial to same as your lanyard or your calls, the ones that stay on there every year. Is it, is it possible for a client to come into the blind and go, Tony, I'm going to give you a bunch of money for that call. And here's the amount, or do you ever get sentimental and be like, you know what? Here's a call. Is it easy for you to give the calls away that are working for you? Cause I find that a lot to where I'm like, Oh man, I got this call. And then I'm like, okay, you can have it. And then next thing I know I'm tuning another one to put on it. Has happened to you quite a bit or do you stick with the same ones? I've never really had anybody ask to, asked to have one but it wouldn't i mean heck it's they're all i wouldn't say custom i mean uh, my duck calls i like are the mondos um but i you know we all present air through a call different so i'm cutting reeds all the all the guides are about every morning every couple days anyway and everybody's got a different cut i mean i could pick up one of my guides calls and be like oh my god that's horrible i'm i sound horrible with that but then my certain cut, I like like the way it sounds a little bit better. Um, but no, it, I think it's easy to duplicate um, with the right call. Um, like Goose Call, I've had Saunders traffic that I've blown forever. And it just, I don't know, it just sounds good. Uh, how often very, How often are you blowing your reed out or, or bubbling a reed or tearing a reed in your Goose Call? Are you changing reeds quite a bit in your Goose Call when, when the migration's on or the reverse migrations? Are you hammering yeah. it that much? Yeah. Do you shave yeah, I mean, your reed? Not, not as much as somebody that hunts them every day. Um, you know, we don't get, I don't hunt Canada's every day anymore. Uh, probably not as much as they used to because our duck seasons go longer. But yeah, I mean, for sure, a couple a year. Do you shave your reed? Mm-hmm. You do. How, how do you know? Do you just learn that as a process or is there somebody that taught you like you take this many scrapes off the left side, this many off the right side, this many out of the middle, you just have a, t- a feeling for it now. Yeah. I mean, same thing. Like I get it a lot on the duck side. They're like, Hey, how do you, how do you cut yours? And I'll be like, how do you tune a duck call? I mean, I can send you a picture of it, but you have to cut it to the way you present air through it. Well, what's that mean? It means get a pile of reeds and a little pair of scissors and just sit there and, start experimenting and plan on going through most of the reeds before you find something that sounds even remotely like a duck, because a little, you know, a little goes a long way when you're, when you're tuning a call, you don't have to take a whole lot off to make a big, big difference. 
this time of year, do you find yourself picking up a duck call or a goose call ever, Tony? Do you still get off on that sound and being able to work, 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 and hit a tray note and a double cluck and a spit note and a spit, you know, a spit moan, whatever it is. Do you still do it in the off season to where you're like a kid in a candy store? I know you have kids now and you're doing it with them and they're practicing and you're teaching, but personally, do you still love it? Just picking up a, a duck call and hammering it? Man, honestly, I, I, I would still like it. I normally don't. And that's probably why these younger kids are so much better. I mean, they're, they're incredible. I mean, they're, they're practicing this stuff all the time. And I've always said, because, you know, I've always said, I don't start to sound really good on a goose call or get my goose lungs. What I call goose lungs for, you know, migrators, you know, traffic geese that you're just blowing at them nonstop or little geese. I don't get goose lungs till the last day of the season. I'm like, man, next year I'm going to, I want to do a better job of uh, practicing in summer and, and keeping in shape with it. And I never do. I'm always so busy. I mean, heck, when I was a kid, it could be the first of May and I'd have my bag packed and my calls sitting there and I know what shells I'm going to shoot on, on the opener and everything ready to go. And anymore, I mean, farming and kids and dogs and everything. I mean, you don't know where the summer goes. I mean, heck halftime, it's like night before season. And I'm like, uh, okay, I got to find my calls for one. Got to find my bag. Where did I put it? What did I do? It's just, it's a different, different time of life now. Tony, you mentioned goose lungs. You look good. You stay in shape. You're competitive. You're an, you're an athlete. You always will be an athlete. You were a professional baseball player. Do you rely on your everyday life to keep your metabolism up? Are you just outside enough to stay in shape? Do you still go to the gym? Do you want to work out? Do you do curls in the mirror still? And do you do you eat right? Do you watch your caloric intake? As you get into your 40s, Tony, our metabolisms slow down. Our body changes. Or you mentioned you love to eat. Do you see a breakfast burrito and devour it because you know you're going to have a big day of burning calories? Or do you, does Tony Vanamore have to be careful now? with his diet, his nutrition, his caloric intake, his workout, what's your, what's your intake on that? Or what's your, what's your thoughts on that? I've always been, been pretty fortunate from that standpoint, uh, you know, from a weight standpoint and all that. I haven't, haven't been to a gym in years and years. I mean, I still try to work out and do a few things around the house some push ups here and there and that sort of thing. But I haven't been to a gym in a long time, but you know, doing stuff outside and working and, you know, hauling decoys and all that stuff is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's work for sure. Uh, but when it comes to, to eating, I mean, luckily I've just been pretty natural. My wife is, is really healthy and she's always cooking great stuff at night that is healthy and tastes great. But biggest thing for me is when I'm working, if I eat like a, a big lunch or a breakfast, it makes me it makes me tired. It makes me feel off. So I hardly ever, I'll drink coffee in the morning and a lot of it. I don't usually eat breakfast. Don't usually eat lunch. I usually just eat dinner and you know, I'll take protein bars and stuff like that. Um, something small just to keep the metabolism up. But as far as big meals, I usually just eat one, one big meal a day. And other than that, it's, you know, some almonds, uh, protein bars, something like that. I mean, guys will come, you know, out in the summer and we'll work and be like, Hey, what are, what are we going to do for lunch? Well, we're not doing anything for lunch unless you brought it. <laughs> Cause if I stop, if you, for me, if I stop doing what I'm doing, it's hot, you're sweating, jump in the AC. Oh, go eat a big dinner. Oh wait, now I got to go back out to 995 degrees, get sweaty again, but I'm tired. Uh, maybe I could do this. I don't need any excuses to, to quit. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd rather just work through it and get it done and uh, get ready for a big meal at the end of the day. Do you, do you have that mentality that you want to do it yourself? I understand that you have the mentality that if I can't do it, I'm not going to ask you to do it, but you have to have help to run this big of an operation, but we can assume and be rest assured that you're working, right? You're a working man. You're out there turning wrenches, fixing tractors when it needs fixed. If you, if you know that part of the mechanical part of the tractor, when it breaks down, but you're in that tractor, you're, you're, you're doing the work, right, Tony? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for one, I love it, but for two, 
yeah, I'm kind of type A. <laughs> you know, I know what I want it to look like in the fall. You know, I want to have this come up to the blind like this, this distance. I want, you know, this strip over here. I want, you know, moist soil right here. I want to spray this because I think it's going to create a good look on this certain wind. It's just easier for me to do it than, uh, than to try to have it done. And I love to do it. I mean, that's what I love to do. That's what's cool because it, it makes, it makes duck season year round. I mean, it's not just a 60 day season. I mean, working for it, doing the work, putting in the time. I mean, it's uh, it's 365 day a year job. Okay. I didn't ask you, I didn't ask your permission to do this, but I kind of used your name to get questions about the podcast. I've had you on here two or three times and I wanted to give people a chance to ask you questions that I might not necessarily think of. And I got a lot of them, but I'm only going to ask you a few to end our podcast because I know your time is valuable. And you're at the lake, I think. And I hope that it stops raining so you can get on the boat. Okay, this one comes from a kid named Alex. He says that he cannot make duck taste good. And he says, is there a recipe you would recommend and I'm going to add to this, Tony, and I don't want you to answer my way, but I want you to answer it without saying poppers. Yeah, man. I mean, the biggest – you can make duck taste good any way you want to cook it if you don't overcook it. That's probably the biggest thing. If you want duck to not taste very good, cook it well done. But for me, just something something simple like cutting the breast out, leaving the skin on, and just pan frying it. I mean, delicious. Uh, I like to smoke whole teal. I really love to do that. Those are delicious. Um, but breasted with skin on is probably my favorite. Casey says, asks, I follow you, Tony, on your personal Instagram, Tony Vandemore, and Habitat Flats. Do you run these pages? Are these your thoughts? And do you do your own posting? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. You 100% do all, both pages. Yeah, well, my, my wife will do a lot of the the posting on my page, but she'll ask, like, hey, what, is this a good pick? Yeah, I mean, it's all my content. I usually do all my stories and everything. I answer all the messages, all emails. I mean, if somebody's going to take the time to, to get in touch with me, I'm going to get in touch with them. I mean, I think that's that's pretty neat. I mean, there's, awesome. Because at the end of the day, I'm no different than anybody else. I just get an opportunity to do it more. Uh, I mean, hunters, it doesn't matter if you're if you use this brand or that brand or this. I mean, it's not a click. It's not like we're high school cheerleaders. I mean, we're all in this because we love our heritage. I mean, hunting. I mean, we're all one big community. There shouldn't be any enemies. I mean, you killed you killed more ducks than I did yesterday, or I wanted to hunt this spot and you were in it or whatever. There shouldn't, shouldn't be any of that. We're all in this together. And we all, I think we all know there's a hell of a lot more people out there that don't like hunting than are for it. I mean, it's kind of all, it's kind of all of our responsibilities to portray this in the right, the right image, you know, to preserve what we have, not look like, a bunch of rednecks out there shooting guns and not knowing what we're doing. I mean, it's a, it's a heritage I mean, without, without question. And it's all of our responsibilities to protect that. And, you know, the old, oldest saying in the book, United we stand, divided we fall. Man, Tony, it's awesome. It's a privilege, right? We're not entitled to be able to hunt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mallory says, what is your favorite dog type? I think she means breed. And would you go hunting without a dog? Well, it's for me, it's, it's lab for sure. Um, I've preferred blacks. That's what I've always had. I've been hunting without my dog and it's not near as fun, <laughs> but it is, it is still fun. And the, the reason that happens sometime is because it kind of goes back to the, the duck calling thing for me. If I go to your place, I'm not bringing my dog unless I'm asked to. 
because it's your place. I want to see your dog. You know what I mean? And we get a lot of people that bring dogs to Habitat Flats and, and I get it. That's fine. You know, they might not have the opportunity to hunt as much as we do. So when they do, they, they want to have their dog. But if I'm going to somebody else's place, I would love to bring my dog for sure, but I'm not going to unless asked. Part of my question is what is your current dog? Who is he or she? What's her, his name and how old is he or her? And are you happy with what's going on so far with him or her? My dog right now, Kai, he, uh, he's a rough son. He turned eight in February and uh, which is hard to believe. Seems like he was just a pup yesterday. And I still had rough, but, uh, he's very good. Very, very happy with him. Kai. I've actually got, got, yeah, I've actually got Kai's son, rough grandson, uh, at our kennel right now in training. And so far looks like it's going to be, he's going to be a winner. Wow. That's freaking awesome. That's pretty badass. So three generations of dogs now going down too. Yep. Yep. So Kai, what's kind of cool with my dogs, Kai was my grandfather's nickname. So his, uh, his registered name, let me think about this is Ruff's, Ruff's grandpa Kai. And then the new one, uh, is Ruff, Ruff and grandpa Kai's Princeton. My grandfather's old duck club. One of them that he was a member of was Princeton game and fish club. And he lived in Princeton, Illinois and all that. So this one's going to be Prince. Wow, that is so cool. That's what's so neat about the heritage part of this. That's what people need to know. That is awesome. Here's the last fan question I will ask Tony Vandemore. Will you lay out your dream mallard duck day, weather type, and temperature-wise? Not a cloud in the sky. 10 to 15 out of any direction, preferably not out of the east, but be tough to have a clear day with an east wind anyway but no i'd say mid 30s mid to upper 30s coming off a cold night not a cloud in the sky mid-afternoon south wind get them ducks coming looking into that sun mm. <laughs> nothing better than green heads in the sunshine nothing. oh man man it's get, it, like no pun intended you're giving me goosebumps like it really is like that are you excited for the season? I mean, are, are you happy that it's summer? I know you love the work part of it, but are you are you like, let's get by this and get to September, October, opening day, November. Are you ready for it already? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, man. I, I'm already looking forward to teal season. I mean, I, I can't wait. I mean, it's what you look forward to all year when it's not. I mean, you're like, oh, you, you hunt every day, so you got to be ready for a break at the end of the duck season. No, you're not ready for a break at the end of duck season. You might be ready for a break at the end of snow goose season, but not, not duck season. Duck season's vacation. But as far as the off season goes, I wouldn't say that I would want to trade it. Uh, I mean, get to have take my girls fishing, and my girls, luckily, love to be in the tractor, and uh, that's super cool to me, be able to have them in there while we're – planting corn or mowing or whatever, listen to hear, you know, what they're thinking. Like, Hey, what's that little thing? Or look at this little deer or this. I mean, just all the trying to teach them what makes this part of the year. And you know, the other part of hunting so much fun. Granted the playlist changes a little bit, you know, we got a little bit more kids bop going on in the tractor. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well then I don't want to bring this part up, but this is something I've been thinking about with my 10 year old Alyssa. She's my world. Are we going to be ready, Tony, when that day comes where a 16-year-old Tony Vandemore or a 16-year-old Chad Belding comes in and says, sir, I'm, I'm here to pick up your daughter? Like, are you going to be cleaning guns like they talk about in the, uh, in the, in the country not, songs? I, yeah, I am 100% <laughs> not going to that. God, is it not? I just sit here and go, man, there's just no way. There's no, no. way. They better, uh, ask their, they better ask her mother. Is that <laughs> It ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I'm like, oh, Chad, you know, you, you you better be prepared in the next six years. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm good. I got I got this, right? Like, she's not going anywhere. <laughs> she's Dude, I, pick, I pick my daughter up. I try to pick her up every day from school because it's like 35 minutes away. My wife usually takes her. I try to pick her up in the afternoon. I like that time with her and whatnot. And just we'll be riding. I mean, she's, she's six. She's going to be seven here in a couple of weeks. 
and get done with school. How's your day, sweetie? Oh, it's great. It's great. You know, who'd you play with? What'd you learn? All this. Well, Billy, Billy told me that, you know, I, I couldn't throw a ball very far. So I'm like, what? Who's this Billy kid? <laughs> it makes me mad already. It's come on. Oh, I do. And I'm telling you, it gets my, I, I, she's in jujitsu and I watch these guys, you know, these kids, these boys, you know, they, they got, they're, flirt with her a little bit, you know, like they do when they're that age, but they also think they can just pick on her and take her down. I'm like, this ain't happening. This uh, don't make me come over there and talk to your parents, you know, kind of attitude. And I'm just like, I'm not one of those parents that she's got to be the best. I don't push anything on her. I just let her figure it out. Like what she wants to excel in and what she wants to be passionate about. But man, that part of my next six, seven years, I'm like, dang it, man. You know, like they always told you, like it's what comes around goes around, you know? And I was that guy that was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm 16, I'm playing baseball. I've been down. I'm like, no, it's not going to happen with this one. Just not going to do it. You know, also, heck, I mean, they're, they're, they're girls. I mean, they're going to go through stuff and, and dad's not always going to be super cool because that's just the way it works out. So I'm trying to, trying to cherish these days while dad still kind of cool <laughs> bro do it because i'm talking like when it, it's like the 10 11 they start to they start to come into their own a little bit and the kisses aren't the same like hey give me a kiss like they're like dad you're not kissing me when you drop me off for school it's just not going to happen anymore i'm like yes it is and she's like dad if you're going to do that you're not dropping me off right in front of the school anymore i'm like really it's that embarrassing like it becomes embarrassing for him it's crazy or maybe it's just me but she's no, like dude. no just be ready for it dude <laughs> She was six this year and I dropped her off at school. Whenever I drop her off at school, she gets out of the back and I'll roll the window down and be like, love you, sweetie. Have a great day. love you. And we pulled up the one morning and she got ready to open the door. Now she said, dad, can you maybe like not roll the window down and, and yell, <laughs> you love me? Because sometimes it kind of embarrassed me. I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, uh, okay. All right. That kind of hurt, but okay. So she gets out, she closes the door and she took off running for the school and I, I had the window up and I was just watching and she got about halfway and she stopped and she turned around and looked at the truck. I, I kind of waved at her. She's like, throwing her hands up like this. And I rolled the window down. I was like, all right, love you, sweetie. She's like, love you, dad. And took off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't handle it. She couldn't no. handle it. Playing no, hard it to super, get, playing hard to it was, get. It was super cute. Well, man, this has been awesome, Tony. I appreciate you coming on, bro. What do you got going on this weekend? Um, that's a great question. Today is Thursday. Tomorrow I have Alyssa and we're doing two Traeger recipes. She's really into the cooking. You know, we have these dry rubs now. So she's, she loves the cooking and she likes the, uh, the idea of, I think the business part of restaurants. So she's named this cafe seven a, and she wants to have, she's got a menu. She's got all the, the pricing laid out. She's got all of the ingredients of the recipes laid out at, but the only part she doesn't understand about business is, you know, the lease on the equipment to use of mine or me buying all the, you know, the, the ingredients. I said, we got to split the profits, right? She goes, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, that's how <laughs> business works. So, so I'm doing a lot of that with her of like the cooking, the wild game. And then we spend a lot of time in the water, man. She's a water baby. She loves to swim. She's a volleyballer, a jujitsu and a water baby. So that's, that's, cool. that's my whole life is just, I go from jujitsu volleyball tournaments. They ended for about a month and a half. Now it's jujitsu three days a week. And then it, we're in the water the rest of summer, whether it's Lake or the pool or whatever. Yeah. Kind of same thing. I mean, we got, we got some family coming to Lake this weekend. I've got some briskets and pork belly and all kinds of stuff. Can sit around and smoke her and swim and take the boat out and just have a, have a good weekend. Are you a, are you a, uh, socializing smoker to where you're around the grill at all times. You like seeing the meat, flipping the meat, doing all of your things, basting it, all of that. Or are you like a kind of shut the lid and forget about it kind of guy? Uh, both. I mean, I like the socializing part of it, but if I can't, you know, if we're going to take the boat out or do something like that, then I'm going to put it on in the morning and make sure it's ready when we get back. Are you boating to the point to where, are you a wake surfer, Tony? I know you're a good athlete. Are you into this new phenomenon of wake surfing? No, I'd, I'd probably kill myself. I'd my back. <laughs> <laughs> Not as limber as I used to be. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm fired up about about Habitat Flats and coming. I'll be getting in touch with you soon about the questions that we had. I'm figuring all that out right now. Cool. Looking forward to it. All right, brother. You like that shirt, right? Habitat Flats.
Absolutely. Trying to make the cut. Trying to make the cut. <laughs> Honorable mention ain't going to work. Got to be at least B-Squad. We'll get you in. It's Tony Vandemore, Habitat Flats, the Foul Life Podcast, brought to you again by Gerber Gear, Stay Sharp America. Book your hunts with Habitat Flats. It's probably a waiting list, I would assume, or are we good to go? Um, no, we've always got a few little few spots here and there. But, yeah, I mean, there's always something to do. Canada, snows, teal, ducks, you name it. Any closing words, Tony Vandemore? Man, I hope you guys all have a great summer and uh, look forward to the look forward to this fall as much as I do. That is the one and only Tony Vandemore. Check him out on Instagram at Tony Vandemore at Habitat Flats. Thank you all for the downloads and subscriptions and support and the partners and sponsors that support us. Talk to you all soon right here at the Foul Life Podcast. <laughs>